Greetings and welcome to the Sister Love Untethered and Under the Radar podcast, uplifting self-love with beauty, respect, honor, freedom of expression about women of color, babe girls, that's black and brown extraordinaire, because babe girls rock. So, welcome to episode five, Queens, Kings, Dukes and Duchesses, this is your Sister Love song B on the throne today in a sexy solo cast that is a sister extraordinaire complete. So today my morning or afternoon health drink I made for myself. I'm having a a health shake mixed with three frozen strawberries, a quarter of frozen blueberries, a quarter cup, a half or an eighth cup of raw peanuts, a half a banana, one half tablespoon of chia seeds and ground pumpkin seeds. And then I blended it with ice and mixed with flaxseed milk. And yes, it's delicious, very delicious. And speaking of health, how are you surviving this week? I truly hope that your week was wonderful, marvelous, and stupendous. But then, life happens. Isn't that right? Things can be going great, and then life happens. I think this week and the last couple of weeks have been horrendous in American society. Speaking of health and this wonderful shake that I'm having this morning... But we have to be mindful about the violence that has occurred in the last two weeks. We've had more than 14 bomb threats and bombs allegedly that mailed out to persons in political and very publicly visible uh, arena. We've had shootings. We've had shootings in synagogues. We had shootings at a grocery store that was aimed for an African-American church. We've had another major shooting at a nightclub in all places, Thousand Oaks, not far from Malibu in Southern California. It has been an extremely violent couple of weeks in America. If this doesn't wake some of us up about gun violence and mental health, then what is our problem, America? We need to make our leaders countable. This week, with all the violence and issues around health, this is a good time to talk about health in America. I became acutely woke this week about the state of mental health and overall health in America. Warning. I'm not going to use any bad words. I'm not going to curse. I will mention race, maybe gender, sex, As it applies, it does not apply to everyone, but 
in situations and cases, we don't know all the details about a person's background and personality. So we take them at face value. Warning. We are a society that is increasingly moving towards subliminal desensitization of human trauma. Lacking compassion in mind, body, health, spirit, and in self-awareness. Which in therefore feeds into neural pathologies. America, we're sick. Lady Gaga the other day came out and gave a 23-minute speech about her personal battle with mental illness. We are a society in rapid decline of mental well-being, yet we're under a passive-aggressive cloud that systemically promotes the degradation of quality, qualitative lifestyle of the working class and the poor. These are red flags. In our society, these red flags increase to self-induced, mind-numbing escapes because you want to get out of it. How do people do it? Through addiction. So they feed us media. They do it, We do it through media, obsession with technology, games, reality TV. We do it through sex, drugs, alcohol, the need to speed, power, control, over others, risky behavior to suppress the feelings of dissatisfaction in our lives, to suppress anger and unhappy experience, to suppress the past. That's why people that suffer from PTSD and ultimately resulting in higher rates of extreme violence, behavior that is unacceptable, but it's towards general or subjective targets, including the self. And it comes out in the ways of slow or rapid suicide or in mass shootings. Hey, I'm just the messenger. And Sister Love will call it like she sees it. Let me lighten this up with a little bit of trivia and sarcastic humor. (laughs) All right. So in Oakland, this is the trivia. Name a place that's black and brown on the bottom and white and yellow at the top where HIPAA laws are violated, patient records are lost, where you are certain to receive high-quality marginal ghetto care with low-quality medical supervision and poor administration. Got an answer? It's called Eastmont Hellness Center. Get it? Okay. Next. What do you call a hospital that frequently scoffs and snubs at their patients? 
General Hospital. Okay. With the exception of Dr. Jekyll, what do you call a doctor who spitefully administers care to patients? Dr. Kildare. Okay, last one. They're, a little, they're corny, but we've got to throw a sense of humor in here. What do you call a hardworking ghetto doctor? A nurse practitioner. I know, I know. It's, it's it's a tough dig. But, hey, when you're in the hood, you don't get the same quality care as they do in some of the other neighborhoods. It just doesn't happen. America needs improved and more qualitative health care. <laughs> health care is beginning to feel more like health scare. And if that's how you feel as I've experienced in the last three months, then you're receiving health care, health kill. It's not health care. It's more like health scare. It's a horror movie. Instead of Medicare, what we're seeing is the delivery of medical dis-ease. Everything that's the opposite meaning of health care. That's what's going on. What is going on in America? Healthcare has certainly diminished. And I don't want to hear the excuse of Obamacare because this was going on long before the Obamacare. And of course, after Trump became president, trying to get rid of the Obamacare, you know, the Affordable Care Act, he has actually caused a lot of facilities and care providers to withdraw from the program. This is how they do it politically without announcing their political stance. This is by design. They want people to be ill, mental illness and homelessness and mass shooting. Since Trump has been president he has made deliberate attempts to eliminate the Affordable Care Act. And this is unacceptable. In the last 12 months, personally, I got to give you my little personal experience here. I've seen seven medical professionals, seven or eight, four physicians, I think three primary care persons, three specialists. I've had to change because they were just, the service was inadequate. Now I live in Northern California in Adam, Alameda County. Now, just uh, for your information, a couple of quick facts about the economy here, according to the census. I live in the city of Oakland in Alameda County, Berkeley, the Republic of Berkeley, you may know it for UC Berkeley, is just really literally less than three miles away, blocks. So according to the U.S. Census, July um, 2017, Alame population in Alameda County is about 1,663 people. In the city of Oakland, it's about 425 
thousand, and in Berkeley, one hundred and twenty-two thousand plus. Now, within that population, they've seen a slight increase of the population. So let's just say, let's just jump to uh, persons over 65. In Alameda County, it's about 13%. In the city of Oakland, it's 12%. In the city of Berkeley, it's 13%. Now, persons for female, it's uh, a little, just slightly over 50%. That means we're pretty equal, female and male. Now, race and origin, and then they put Hispanic aside. Okay, white, Caucasian, in Alameda County, 50%. City of Oakland, 38%. And the city of Berkeley, 63%. Black or African American. In Alameda County, 11%, Oakland, 24%, and Berkeley, 4%. Native American, Alameda County, 0.1%, Oakland, 0.08%, Berkeley, 0.05%. Asian, Alameda County, 31%, Oakland, 16%, Berkeley, 19%. Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, uh, Alameda County, 1%, Oakland, 0.06, and 0.03 for Berkeley. Latino or Hispanic, Alameda County, 22%, Oakland, 26%, Berkeley, 11%. Okay, so there you have it. Now, let's just jump to the uh, economics. On average, the median income for owner-occupied units, well, this can't be the median, this is a total, but it looks like, uh, well, we don't want housing, what we want is the economy. Okay, here we are. Okay, in the labor force, The looks like uh, the median income is in Alameda County seventy nine thousand, City of Oakland fifty seven thousand, and Berkeley seventy thousand. Persons uh, that are considered poverty, the percentage of Alameda County is ten point seven, Oakland twenty percent, and Berkeley nineteen. That's pretty doggone high. So those are the demographics of the area here in the Bay Area where I live. Now, my recent experience was Nightmare on Elm Street in Oakland and in Berkeley. And I realized that repeatedly these unsatisfactory experiences result in a a cumulative angst at an alarming rate. And I felt I was reaching my threshold of containment and I was about to lose it. I even, um, it's coming back to me now like PTSD. So first let me just talk about the primary care physicians. 
again, this is, and I will say, this is the Affordable Health Care Act. However, even when I had a paid employee paid health care, I still receive inadequate health care and service. So the facilities in Alameda County, my best experience, I will say thus far, has been a place uh, called Native American Health Center. The downside is wait times, medical records, or anything that you need in a, in a timely matter. If you don't mind sitting in the office and waiting three hours, literally, to be seen, that's what you ha- you're faced with. Other than that, a couple other administrative issues, they're slow, lagging, um, they're behind in technology and training, but that's the sacrifice. Now, on my list of worst, if you didn't know, according to my trivia, is Eastmont Wellness Center. It's Eastmont Hellness Center. There were large polarized cultural differences. Now, I had... I saw about three different physicians, doctors, female, two Asian, one Filipino, one Chinese, and one Caucasian. And all of the women, with the exception of the uh, Anglo doctor, were robotic. The only one that gave me eye contact was the Anglo doctor. The downside is that I felt more like a widget and a little less human. I felt like I was just another person on an assembly line and there was no care given. Plus, the worst thing for a patient, for you all in the medical profession, particularly these days, is that when a patient feels that they are not heard, a lack of communication, no eye contact, and you're looking past them, speaking over them, and not listening. The other thing about Eastmont Hellness Center, they lost my medical records. That's right. I followed up, wrote an email. I've got receipts and never received a response. I got furious, marched up there, spoke to an administrator who just talked BS basically to my face. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm going to follow up. I'm going to follow up and don't worry, this should never happen. It's probably sitting right on uh, the clerk's uh, desk and I'll follow up. Makes me want to cuss. Three, one effing day, two effing days, 72 effing hours a week. Uh, Let me correct you. Since that conversation with him and me following up with email. He never called me back. He never responded to my email. And it's been a good three months. Of course, they can kiss my crack right about now. That's over. Now, so losing, if you, just to, let me just say, losing medical records of any patient is a violation of your privacy. It is criminal. 
that is a violation of the HIPAA Act, which is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. This is a United States legislation that provides data, privacy, and security provisions for safeguarding patients' information. They violated that. I have every right to follow up with uh, an official complaint. But I'm sharing with you, my sister love community. Now, one more place, the last place and recent place that I went to was in Berkeley. And just like the population census indicated, Berkeley has a small population, but there's 19% of people in poverty. And let me tell you, this center certainly represented that. I saw a Anglo female doctor, 40-ish. She was assigned, since I was disenchanted with Eastmont Hellness, I was assigned to this facility because the the urge the nature was urgent, and they uh, the health care insurance said, uh, "Listen, we can get you get you over here. This will be an exception, and they'll handle you." No, no, she didn't handle me. It's been three months. She ain't handled nothing. This doctor was very dismissive. dismissive even hostile. Now, when I go to, because I'm so used to going from physician or facility to facility, I walk in hand with medical records, with records on CDs, with MRIs, with x-rays, and other medical documentation that's on that disc or those discs with technology and with paperwork. She told me, well, we can't read that. That was the tone. It was sharp and brunt. Okay. Well, so when I say that she was very dismissive and I found her to be hostile, hostile, she refused to complete my time-sensitive forms. And in fact, that was... From August to November, that's three months, August, September, October, November. She has never to date a release of this podcast to complete those forms, putting me in an economic dire situation and in jeopardy. What she, what she did instead was provide referrals. Now, I didn't mind the referrals because I needed to see additional spe- specialists. She did add therapy. I have issues with my lower back and my knee. And, but because of the overburden of patients that need to see the few people that are still providing care to, under the Affordable Care Act, the wait time before you can get an appointment is one and a half or let's say six to eight weeks which was my situation. And in her attitude was like, I don't know you. I'm not filling out any forms. I don't know you. Oh, but in the meantime, 
while you're trying to get to know my situation, shouldn't you make sure that my forms are completed to keep me in a sound state of mind and in an economic state of health and well-being to maintain while you get to know me and my situation? I was furious. This was unacceptable to me, unacceptable to me. Anyway, my last visit with her, she says, I don't see any records. I told you, we cannot read your records on a disc. So I don't know what to tell you. In other words, that's your problem. I, I, I'm not here for that. Really? Is that what you want when you go to see a doctor? Is that what you want to hear? Is that the snappy, snippy attitude, smirky attitude that you want to hear? I told her, and then she goes, and I don't see the records that you claim that you dropped off. I dropped off hand. I went out of my way to go to Kaiser to get paper records, which was not an easy task. Because you have to go twice. To put in your request and then to go back and pick them up, which means you have to park hella far away when I've got knee issues and it's time consuming and it's going to take about a good hour and a half and plus drop them off out of your day, two hours. And then she tells me that center did not have my records. I went anyway, this is twice. This is twice. There's minimal choices in this county to get health care. Quality is not even in factored in. Anyway, so this doctor, she says to me this day, she says, well, I can't fill out your, your forms for a patient that I don't know. To add insult to injury, she says, all I can say is that if you can't do your normal work, then go file for SSI. Or just find another job. But I'm not going to fill out your forms without reviewing your information. Is that what we go to see physicians to be talked to in that manner? Mind you, I'm sitting before her and it has already been three months. So in other words, oh, just to hell with me? What is healthcare coming to? And then after all of that, she hurriedly and left the office and then hurriedly, hurriedly with her clogs came back in, click clacking. Oh, I forgot to ask you, do you need a flu shot? I told her, no, I do not. I don't trust them. Implying, I don't trust you. And then she rolled her eyes and huffed and stormed out with her clogs. Click clacking, click clacking. I was just done with her. I left infuriated, dismissed. I felt that I wasn't heard and that the service I encountered lacked ethical delivery of health care, which is what I experienced. And it was unacceptable. And I went to the front desk and challenged them. Where are my records that I dropped off less than a week ago? They fumbled and bumbled around and couldn't answer. This is when it finally comes to you and you realize this is implicit bias. 
Yes, me as an African-American woman and this woman speaking to me as if she's some high and mighty person speaking and dismissing me like I don't matter. Now, I don't believe that most doctors listen or even hear their patients when, when, you, when it comes to African-Americans. You're not treated with a level of respect or high regard as a patient. Now, I'm generalizing, but in most cases, in almost majority, overwhelmingly, 90% of the times, the doctors that I've seen, this is how I've walked out feeling. I believe there are exceptions, exceptional physicians who do not fall under that rule. But it appears to be based on my experience that this is a standard. It didn't matter if she were liberal or conservative. Whatever her politics are, didn't matter to me. What mattered is that she came off as someone who was high and mighty and white, who was doing a favor working over here with all these poor black and low-income people, doing the community a favor. And that, to me, is implicit bias. My experience with the four specialists in the field of orthopedic were not highly rated either, with the exception of one. The first orthopedic uh, who was 30, late 30s, 40s, Anglo-female, very likely LBGT, because they make it pretty obvious based on her persona, And this was through Kaiser. Now, she specializes in sports medicine. I found her to be abrupt, cold, disconnected, who very quickly reviewed my x-ray, which I later found out that her comment and diagnosis, only because I pressed the issue, again, dismissive, was incorrect, simply because... She act like she didn't even want to do it and have time to talk about an x-ray, that, nor did she even really look at it. So I was just taking up her time. Then there was a, a, a I would say, late 60 Asian male in Hayward, city of Hayward, who clearly has been in practice for several years. The moment I walked into that waiting room, it looked like I was in a cow fresh, giving away free food stamps, uh, bunch of people. It was so packed with people, miserable people of color, brown and black, everybody looking old (laughs) in the waiting room, looking miserable, looking depressed. No one smiled and no one looked like they were being healed. I thought this is the most depressing place I've ever seen. It was dark, dingy. Uh, No. Clearly, there was no healing going on there. And then when I saw him, he was just aloof and cocky and laughing. I wonder what kind of laughing gas was he on? He looked at my uh, x-ray and was like, oh, that, that's, that's no, you, 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 no problem here. You just have arthritis. No, fool. For all of you fools. I strained my knee. Now, he finally came to the conclusion because I pressed him. I said, no, no, this is not arthritis. I think I would know what that is. <laughs> you might see signs of it, but it means doesn't mean that you start suffering from real arthritic conditions. 
And that may not happen for a long time. They can recognize arthritis in your body at the age of 21. Literally. Finally, he concluded that I had a knee strain or sprain. Okay, really? Einstein? He just laughed aloof. He was of no help. None. All I know is I needed to get the hell out of there. Then finally, I I went to another male, Latin, working under an Asian doctor. And it looked like they were moving people along, but he was such a hurry to get to the next patient. He spoke to me so quickly, like, in fact, when he came into the office, he hadn't even looked at my x-ray. He's like, oh, okay. I said, look. I'm here to get the cortisone shot. That's if that if you have time to do that, let's just do that. Because clearly you don't have time to really examine and see what's going on with me. That was the best I got out of that. Okay, that was like driving through McDonald's. Give me the unhappy meal. Then the last person I saw just about a month ago, maybe not even that long closer to my home was, I would say, uh, African-American male in his fifties who specializes in knee replacement surgery. Now you all, this was the best referral that that evil, hateful woman in Berkeley gave me. There was an elderly woman in an African-American woman sitting in the waiting room says, uh, Oh, honey, you ain't too old or too young to get a a knee replacement. I just got my knee replaced uh, three months ago, and I've been just happy ever since. Then another African-American woman patient walks out, older woman, looking happy, smiling. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. This is a good sign. She gave this Dr. Ray review, and it was a good, positive feeling in that environment. Now I wasn't feeling encouraged, but I, to me, it's like, okay, I'm just going to see one more person. That's just going to disappoint me and dismiss me anyway. And he had, uh, about three very lovely young Filipino, attractive ladies, very nice, kind, warm, uh, patient. I thought, Ooh, this feeling is foreign because out of my last three years experience, I've not experienced anything like this. I thought, okay, when they called me back and said, okay, it's your time to see the doctor. I thought, okay, this man was so personable. It reminds me of old stories as a child of what I believe and heard that, how doctors were, particularly in the African-American community, which I think is a shame because we don't see enough programs to promote and support uh, people going into the medical fields. It needs to start in our schools. But I tell you, this has to be on purpose. This is intentional. This is not, not, not an accident. It's by design. To destroy us. Anyway, so I go on to see this this doctor, and by the name is his name, and he is Doctor Taylor. 
because I have high regards and respect for this man. But this doctor gave me personal care. He even, he said, after we talked for a good 30 minutes and examined my knee and asked me questions. And I says, well, that Kaiser woman told me I had a torn meniscus. No, she said, in fact, I didn't have one at all. And arthritis was bone on bone. And that's what my problem was. What can I tell you? The only thing you could do is get knee surgery. Otherwise, here's the cortisone shot. Really? This Dr. Taylor went through. He says, he just kind of smiled. And he says, let me show you something. I looked at your MRI. Let's go over to the computer. He took me to the computer. Educated me for about another 10, 15 minutes. And he told, even told me, he says, by the time you're done with this, you'll be ready to take exam to be an, an, uh, an x-ray technician. He came all the terms, all the different bilateral, lateral sides, and showed me. And he says, who told you you didn't have a meniscus? Here it is. So in other words, I've been bullshatted on with everybody else. That's why it's implicit bias because they don't see you, they don't hear you, and they talk past you, over you, and down to you. Health care is health kill. I would like to see more ethnic doctors in the community providing service and health care. I think that there could be more of a mutual respect and there's a communication this man communicated with me with respect and intelligence. He didn't undermine me. And that was a huge difference. Based on my experience, it clearly states that under free or publicly assisted care, or, or even care, even if you co-pay uh, for your care, under the, uh, it, it doesn't even have to be Affordable Care Act because I was going to a large care provider, Kaiser, and same thing. But it says that the quality of service is compromised all across the board. And as an African-American female patient who has been treated with a lack of compassion, even hostile manner, there is certainly implicit bias in the healthcare industry. We don't have to be victims to health kill. That's what I'm here to say. I know that some of you feel hopeless. I felt that way, but we don't have to be victims. Number one, we must take measures to be good to ourselves. Number one, and just don't accept anyone else's BS and don't accept just one opinion. If you're not happy with it, move along. Number two, don't be discouraged because I believe that there are individuals in a field that intentionally want to discourage you. Don't let them get their way. Change physicians until you feel safe and confident. Number three, failure to comply with HIPAA or breach of regulations can result in substantial fines being issued to that facility and criminal charges and civil actions can be filed, such as lawsuits. 
So if you feel in addition to not being treated correctly or properly or being mishandled, or you feel your privacy has been violated or compromised, you can file a complaint with the Office for Civil Rights, OCR. So question, I have a question. Why do people take positions and spend a lifetime studying for a profession or something that they are not 100% happy or fulfilled with? Why go into health care and not care or give a damn? Why work in a community that you don't respect or you scoff or look down on the people? People don't want high and mighty self-proclaimed persons, liberal or conservative, to come into a LMI, low to moderate income community and glorify themselves because, hey, look at Jim, Courtney, or Peggy. Oh, they're such great humanitarians and they're good people because, look, they spend their profession working in the hood. Well, who knows? Maybe that's all they can get. Because if you're there because you want to be, your attitude would display it. Hmm. You're not doing the community any favors with this attitude. Unless you see the community that you serve as equals and human and have compassion in an ear. Yes, there's some people you may have to be firm with, but... You need to speak and deal with them as an equal and as humans. Otherwise, you've got no business being there or in that profession. There was a time when healthcare practitioners gave 110% care to clients and to the people in the community. You rarely see that high level of practice today. Doctors aren't healers. We have practically lost healers. Healers were traditionally persons of held in high regard. Like Dr. Seabee. If you don't know who Dr. Seabee was, he is has been deceased since 2016. And there is a lot of conspiracy about how Dr. Seabee died. Google it. Um, It's a deep story, but this was a man who was a true healer, dedicated. Dr. C.B. was a Honduran herbalist and healer. He practiced through, he practiced healing through cell foods, healing to fight cancer, diabetes, lymphatic conditions, weight loss, and these primarily conditions that attacked in our typical and African-American, or excuse me, in the African community of the diaspora. And he said, we can overcome these things through proper herbs and diets. So he practiced uh, and taught vegan diets and the alkaline diets. Although there's a lot of, uh, and I won't even speak negatively on, you know, in regards to, what the general public, because they tried to destroy Dr. CB and ultimately they may have killed Dr. CB, but this man was doing, uh, wonderful things 
in the in in the jungle of the Honduras. You know, uh, you heard of uh, uh, Left Eye from TLC. She was someone actually before she died. She went and spent six months or four to or excuse me, four to six weeks or more with Dr. CB and took a group of people with her to change their diet, to clear their energies and, and spirits and, and, and change their lifestyle. And unfortunately she, uh, succumbed to, uh, a demise based on a, a fatal car accident, but nonetheless, Healers and the practice of healing is still goes on. And I'm happy to see that in North America, we're starting to see a rise of, of community healers and practitioners. And so I, my goal is to bring on some uh, community healers and just talk about what they do and advice and what they observe and what their experience is, what brought them to this, who were their influences, uh, who influenced them and whose backs do they stand on? That would be valuable. So I'm looking forward to doing that. couple of weeks was Halloween, um, but more important, El Dia de los Muertes, celebrated October 31st through November 2nd in Mexico, known as the Day of the Dead, to commemorate the dead ancestors, family, and loved ones. It is also recognized in many places over the globe in Italy. It is a traditional uh, tour for the Festival of the Dead on November 2nd, and this celebration it uh, recognizes either ancestors in the near future or before and after. So the tombs of the dead of their loved ones are often decorated with flowers, um, with uh, fruits and other items and candles and tokens. And uh, 
This practice is often facilitated by the so-called Bridge of the Saints. And these are century-old traditions of taking uh, that take place in November, on November 2nd, to remember the ancestors. And in Italy, as many other Christian countries, the day after All Saints Day is All Souls Day. And here it's celebrated with prayers, flowers, uh, food, and children bring candy. So I thought I'd look up something and uh, for African ancestry. And I think it's important that uh, we recognize our ancestors. Uh, of course, uh, after Christmas, we celebrate, or some of us recognize Kwanzaa, uh, thanks to Brother Ron Karenga, who uh, came up with the concept of the seven days and seven principles. However, I think in practice, not only immediate ancestors, but also to honor and recognize those that uh, our ancestry in Africa before the middle passages and of course all of the souls that were lost during the middle passages and those who survive post middle passages surviving slavery and so I looked up the name uh, in Swahili that would be the same as the dead day of the dead and that is would be Siku ya wafu, siku ya wafu. Now it's not an official practice uh, at this particular time, but there are thousands of ethno-religious practices in Africa which commonly believe that life does not end with death, but continues in another realm. Uh, the concepts of life and death are not mutually exclusive concepts. There are no clear dividing lines between them. So human existence is a dynamic process involving the increase or decrease of power of or life force of living and dying. And there are different levels of life and death. Death does not alter or end life or the personality of an individual, but only causes a change in its conditions. This is expressed in the concept of ancestors, people who have died, but who continue to live in the community with and communicate with their families. So that this is not to create fear or anything, but I think that it's worthy of at least recognizing and having an altar to recognize and honor the ancestors for a period of three days. Uh, something new customs, new customs of self help, self care, self healing, community healers. I think, uh, really ultimately in a holistic approach, we need to reconnect with our ancient roots and beliefs and practices. And, uh, even the, the elders, and ancestors, I mean, only in the last couple of centuries, they brought over a lot of those customs. And when we had our hands in the ground and we cultivated our food and the herbs, even after being uh, removed from homelands and still practiced those, those procedures, 
they were healing. They were healing. And for young people, if you don't have any of that to identify with, if your parents or grandparents didn't hold on to any pieces of that, you need to be reintroduced to that. We do as a culture because that's part of our wealth and our richness. And we wouldn't be so suspect to uh, the things that go on today, the dilution and the twisted and unqualitative uh, health care. It's not there. It's not there to sustain us and prolong our survival or our reproduction and, and continuance of healthy generations. No, this is all designed and structured to be against us. So this is, this is what being woke is about. Well, anyway, so I, I want to move into my segment, The Pursuit of Happiness, which is the challenge. If you're a new listener, listener to Sister Love, Untethered and Under the Radar, the Pursuit of Happiness challenge is to bring joy and meaning into your life. You must commit to doing something for yourself in the pursuit of happiness weekly, consciously, intentionally, deliberately. Okay? So, uh, please, I want you to share and what you did. I like to read it and share it with other listeners. So last week I did something, uh, a little more conscious, uh, segueing from, uh, the, uh, last, uh, couple of weeks celebration. I did something in the way of the Siku Yawafu. And it was precious and beautiful, and I did it on November 2nd, and that was, I had a prayer, I created a loving, peaceful altar to honor ancestors with beautiful, uh, this beautiful uh, hand-woven napkin, you know, uh, that reminded me of my grandmother and I had beautiful candles that stood and put white candles in there and, um, and burned some incense and, you know, sage and some sacred, good, positive spiritual energies. And I prayed, I prayed for my ancestor. I, you know, wish them love and peace and positive memory. I prayed for ancient ancestors who, you know, we never knew, but know that we were connected to them and are connected through blood. I prayed for the uh, ancestors that did not survive the Middle Passage, as those that did, and those who lived through slavery and post and more recent generations. And that was relieving for me. And I think um, to do this and to honor that adds meaning to and purpose in our life. And for the next generation, it's all about cycles and we have to engage in those positive cycles and not allow ourselves to be victim, victims by everything else, the external world. We must strengthen our circle and our communities, our urban villages and our villages globally. So although you know, I, I shared with you how challenging my past week was, and it was the peak of frustration 
dealing with poor and poor service and disease. That's how disease comes disease comes about. Is dis-ease with things. And with me, it was the medical care system, but I had to pause. I paused to give myself a massage. Not a body massage. Sometimes you have to massage your mind. I needed to massage my brain, release it from that, all that toxic, poisonous, unloving negativity. And a positive mental brain massage that I gave myself was a pause to listen to a positive message on releasing anger, followed by a special meditation to remove low and negative energy. And that brought me right where I needed to be. Sometimes we got to remember to do those kind of things. The meditation allowed for me to distance my spirit and energize myself on a cellular level beyond mind and body and free up my life energy to return to the abundant and creative me. That's who we be. Meditation and yoga are powerful tools. And of course, how we eat and what we put in our mind and our body. So we've got to be conscious and woke about those things. And it has to be consistent in the pursuit of happiness combined, as I said, with food, our human associations, and creating balance to promote well-being and to create pleasantness in the midst of displeasure and negative energies that emanate from others. That's how we get on top of it. And that's how you stay straight and in on top of your pursuit of happiness. Don't let other people throw you off because they will. And they will try. <laughs> it's all, it'll come to you at all angles. If it's not in your mailbox, it's, it's somewhere out there in the environment every day. But you do something positive for you and stay on top of your pursuit of happiness. That's my tip on the pursuit of happiness. So if you have any practices and overcame any challenges, special wellness or recipe you want to share with the Sister Love community, please send it. Send it to our uh, Facebook page. That's uh, Facebook Sister Love Extraordinaire. Or you could send it to uh, sunshine at sisterlove.thevibejuice.com. And put in the subject, Pursuit of Happiness. Vibe Juice, by the way, is the other podcast that we have. Uh, and we, I have guests. And that's just uh, all about vibing and what's happening in Oakland and in the world and entertainment and everything from Vibe Juice to Booty Juice, which is entertainment, economics, and pop culture, and et cetera. Orange Juice, which is politics. So check out the Vibe Juice. Stitcher, you can hear it on iTunes. Um, you can go directly to the website. You can play it on your player or download it on your mobile. But be sure to support and follow us. Well, now it's time for the Woke Ancestor, the Woke Ancestor. This Woke Ancestor that I want to share with you is Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Crumpler. That's Rebecca Lee Crumper, C-R-U-M-P-L-E-R, born February 8th, 1831, and 
died March 9th, 1895. She was an African-American physician and author. She became a doctor of medicine in 1864 after studying at New England Female Medical College. She was the first African-American to become a physician in the United States. That is Rebecca Lee Crumpler. I want to give honors to the woke ancestor, Ashe, and thank you, sister, Rebecca. Now, my Shiro, it is Shira, Shiro's time. And my Shiro of the week is Sister Shirley Chisholm. And if you don't know Sister Shirley Chisholm, you need to Google her. But let me just share a little bit based on Wikipedia. Shirley Anita Chisholm, an American politician educator, born November 30th, 1924 in New York City. And she passed January 1st, 2005. Not very long ago, about 13 years ago. She was educated in Brooklyn College and earned a master's from Columbia University. In 1968, she became the first black woman elected to the United States Congress, the first. And she represented New York's 12th congressional district for seven terms from 1969 to 1983. In 1972, she became the first black candidate for mayor for, excuse me, for a major party's nomination for the president of the United States. So let me just say she was the first African-American candidate for presidency. That was in 1972. Important note. Not only was she the first uh, black or African-American nominee, but she was also the first female. Hillary was not. Sorry. Anyway, and she was the first woman to run for the Democratic Party's presidential nomination. Uh, she was a co-founder of Unity, Unity Democratic, excuse me, Unity Democratic Club in Brooklyn. Wow. Uh, Miss Chisholm was one of the early members of the National Organization of Women, uh, which is known as NOW and active in the NAACP. She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1993, and she is author of the books, uh, two books, Unbought and Unbossed. I love that title. And The Good Fight, something that we should read. So I want to leave a quote from our She Rise, She Rose, Sister Shirley Chisholm, who said, we must not reject not only the stereotypes that others hold us, of us, but also the stereotypes that we hold of ourselves. Amen to that. Amen. So, that's our time. Thanks for listening to Sister Love Untethered and un- Under the Radar. We are evolving each and every day. Thanks for your support and patience. Be sure to listen, subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and follow us on Facebook. You can like us. That's Sister Love forward slash sisters. I'm sorry, Facebook forward slash sisters. 
extraordinaire. So have a wonderful, great week. Peace. Love y'all. Be good to yourself. <laughs>